Hey lovelies, before we get started, I want to let you know that my newest design, the ribbon dress, is on pre-order right now. I've always loved dresses with bustier corsets, but personally don't feel comfortable wearing them, so this is my modest version of that style. It features a crew neckline, gathered raced waistline, trumpet skirt, and ribbon bow detailing at the waist and cuffs. The back is to die for. You have these long bow tails that are not in your way, but just still so striking and beautiful. The ribbon dress is all of my romantic dreams come true. It comes in two colors, desert rose and black, and is available with my usual inclusive size range of two through 28. The pre-order is closing when I get to my desk first thing Wednesday morning, December 6th. The link is in the show notes. If it still works or you still see the product listed on impactfashionnyc.com, then you can still pre-order pre-ordering guarantees you get the size and color you want and allows you to shop stress-free without any launch day jitters. When it does come in, stock will be limited, so do not miss this pre-order. Pre-order the ribbon dress and learn more by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. It's on today's show, I sit down with an art teacher and early childhood educator to discuss how we can bring better art into our kids' lives. She shares her own journey into art and education, why so many of us think we're not artistic, the problem with copycat crafts on a developmental level, and good beginner crafts for mess-averse people. thought of art as separate from education. Like in school, there were the real subjects like math and science and the fun ones like art and computers. Little did I know how much there is to be gained from a proper art education. Fakie Colbury brings her years of experience in the classroom to break all this down for us. My mother used to tell me I had ants in my pants. So <laughs> I guess, I guess nowadays it would be called ADD or ADHD. <laughs> so that's what I was like as a kid. <laughs> Were you always into art? Did you always know that was something you wanted to do? I loved art. I Yeah, I did love art, but it was never something that I thought I could do because I didn't think I was artistic. And not just in our world, but in many, many people's world, people think that art is from their imagination. It's interesting because I'm a decent copier. And I remember through my whole journey with art, with kids' art, with adults' art, um, I read this book called Drawing with Children by a woman named Mona Brooks. She has she teaches something called the Monart method. I think that's how you pronounce it. And she she gives these myths. She gives these eight myths. And she talks about how um, um, one of the myths that that people think that artists can just draw from their imagination. And it's not true. Some of the biggest um, uh, artists you know they used to copy they used to copy things and that was like a light bulb that went over my head oh maybe I'm more artistic than I thought I was you know what's interesting is I, I not long ago I saw an article that talked about how some of the big the old masters had some kind of a machine where they would project the image of what they were painting onto their canvas and they were able to draw the outline of it which is like wild, wild when you think of that, because we have this idea of artists that just, just they can conjure up anything up in their head. And, um, you know, so I, I my mother, of course, my mother used to say about how uh, artistic I was. And it was just, she was my mother. So, of course, she doesn't, you know, 
she doesn't really know. Um, so I always loved it, but I, um, as, like I said, I never really, I never really took it further. I would do a little bit here and there. I would buy books ever so often. I would take a course. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you're interested in me jumping into my whole journey, but I can tell I you am, how that. That is precisely what I'm interested <laughs> in. Please. Okay. So, um, so what happened was I, before I was married, I, I got a degree in early childhood education from a place called Bank Street, Bank Street College of Education, which is a, it's up in the city in Manhattan. It's a very good, um, it's a very good college of education. It's very progressive. But what I mean by progressive is not what people say progressive is today. I mean, progressive in terms of it's not like, it's not very traditional um, education. It's very much learning by, by doing. Um, and they're very anti what we call copycat cookie cutter crafts. They don't believe in that. And um, they believe in art and just giving giving kids process art when they're very young and, you know, all kinds of creative art. And so what happened was I started teaching and I was very into the art with the kids. And I loved watching the creativity, like when you just would give kids collages and you could just see the different ages how they each created according to their own developmental level and and I, and I just loved that that was like of all the stuff I did with teaching that was I, I loved that and then I, I got married and I started having kids and I wanted to be home I wanted to be home so I I kind of put that aside and, and I actually became a photographer I was a high-end portrait photographer for about 25 years Wow. Um, so I started started doing that. I would start uh, the way they do it in that world, at least in my world of photography, is they have like various like various good photographers across the country, and they they'll host either conferences or they'll have um, classes in their studio. And I and I started going and dragging the, my kids, my babies, with me to learn. And I opened a studio in my house. Um, so I was doing that, but at the same time, I had also. Um, so then a little bit later, what happened was my kids, I had these two teenage girls and right. So it was much later and they, um, I figured, you know, they, um, maybe they're going to want to go into, I had discovered internet marketing. This was back in like in the 2006, 2007. Uh, and they had, I had discovered internet marketing. I said, Oh, what a great thing for them to learn. Cause maybe, you know, if they want to be able to do something, if they're going to help with, you know, support whatever their husbands are doing, right? So I went and bought it. In those days, everything you bought was packaged and shrink wrap and mailed to you. Right? No such thing as downloads in that days. So I ordered this this course for $300, I remember. And it sat on my shelf because my girls were not interested in internet marketing. <laughs> we say note to self. Don't buy things for your kids if you don't know if they're interested or not. Anyway, so it was sitting there and I got interested. And I started going through it and I got really fascinated and I decided to create a product and they say when you're creating something do something that you know and that you love and what did I know I knew art in education early childhood education so I put together first I put together this um I, I put I, I developed a website this was this edu art for kids I had started it way back then and I also put together a um like this product that I can sell physically and I started selling I started selling the product physically and I had gotten this letter from what product was it? What type of product was it? 
it was an information product on hard and how to do art in the preschool. I used, I called it the preschool art seminar in box. And it came with audio, it came with cassette tapes and a workbook and pictures. And, and I got the names of like the Jewish schools across the United States. And I sent out a letter about it and a bunch of people bought it. And then after a little bit, there was a school, I live in New York, I live in Far Rockaway, New York, actually a place called Bayswater, New York, near, near JFK, about 15 minutes from JFK. And then she called me and she said, do you do workshops? And I said, hmm, yeah, yeah, I do workshops. I do now. <laughs> and I put together, <laughs> and I put together a workshop and I went to her school to teach the teachers what I knew and they loved it. And she actually called me back a few months later to do another one, like a continuation. So, so I had that. And then I started, um, I started marketing that and I started getting people calling me in the, in the Jewish community to come to their schools, to do workshops. Um, at the same time, I, I, I had this website that I really wasn't doing much because I wasn't teaching at the time. And I didn't have, I didn't have um, any content to put on my blog because I wasn't doing art. And I took another a course. I've taken millions of courses. I'm, I'm the real shiny object syndrome follower, you know. So I took a course with this fellow who said to me, you can't have a blog if you don't have content on it. You better get some kids and start doing art with them. So I started dragging in my neighbor's kids. <laughs> and I was speaking to a friend of mine that I had gone to to Bank Street with. We were old friends, but she was also, she was opening up a new school, uh, a girl's yeshiva in um, Far Rockaway with, um, with a, a guy that had been a principal elsewhere. And she only had like, you know, like a younger grades under first grade. Yes. Speaking to her one day and all of a sudden I said, you know what? I think I'm going to be your art teacher next year because I needed content. So she said, great, because she knew that I was going to follow her philosophy and I um, became her art teacher. And as the school grew, I grew with it. And I just started my 11th year at that school. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so what happened was then, so at the same time, I had been doing some of those workshops sporadically whenever people would find my brochure and call me, they needed a professional development. And I was working on my blog, but I needed more help. So I took another course on how to market my blog. And I was explaining to one of the coaches in this blog about how I really believe that a lot of the reason people feel so uh, stifled in art and drawing, where they're always saying, me, I can't draw a straight line, is because of their early childhood experiences with art. And she said to me, would you consider like starting a blog for adults in creativity and then kind of teaching people why they don't feel artistic. And then you'll take them back to the blog. So I said, sure. Why not? I'm open to anything. I started doing research on adult creativity. And I kept coming across this term called mixed media art. Mixed mm. media art. And I was like fascinated. And I started taking books out of the library. And then I started buying books. And then I started buying supplies. And the end story was I developed a website. I developed a website for adults, Creativity Ignited. I started classes in my house. I started going to classes. I got into something called alcohol inks. I was giving classes. I developed courses. It was like a really, <laughs> it was a whole new chapter in my life and I loved it. Again, I was trying to market that and grow it. I took 
um, I, I took a coaching program that was really a bust because I didn't really understand the whole artist mentality. And then I found this woman who was giving coaching specially to artists. And I joined that. And she basically told me she, you know, in one of my personal coaching um, sessions with her, she said she works with people. Her name is Kelly Wynn. And she works with people to find what they're truly remarkable at. And once she spoke to me and delved deep into my background and everything, she said, why are you leaving this topic of um, art, of art, teaching art to kids when you're such an expert at it? And so you're not an artist. And my whole thing as artist was I was the non-artist teaching people, non-artist teaching people how to be creative. Anyway, she ended up bringing me back to my roots of teaching kids. And then I remembered COVID. And I remembered how you could reach people all over the world through Zoom and through online stuff. So I went back to that and I developed a program for administrators really a program to do my workshop for teachers and at this point what i'm but i'm also in the process now of adding like cheaper cheaper things like my i had these ebooks that i used to sell and i'm going to be doing a like a, a much cheaper version of my whole program so my, really what i'm re really trying to do is to teach teachers and parents the importance of giving kids that art that is creative and not um, not all this copycat cookie cutter crafts that is so detrimental to kids and their self-esteem and their creativity. And here I am trying to spread the gospel. <laughs> so you mentioned you see there's there's a couple of phrases that you keep using over and over again. This like copycat cookie cutter crafts. You mentioned right. like this stifling early childhood experiences with art. What do you mean by that? Why is having like one project that the whole class does and that everybody's kind of ends up looking exactly the same? Why is that problematic? Okay, so in order to to know how to teach, you have to go to the child development experts. And there are there are people that study children and they studied how they develop cognitively, socially, and they they based on that, like the school I went to, the school Bank Street College of Education, uh, Bank Street College of Education, they base all of their teaching on these psychologists and these experts because they studied how children learn. So um, there's a few a bunch of different ones. There's Piaget, there's Dewey, there's Erickson. These are, you know, they uh, Piaget studied cognitive how they learn. Dewey was more. Dewey and, and Erickson with social and psychosocial. These are people anyway. that you're talking about. These are researchers. Yeah, okay. right. These are researchers, psychologists. So they discovered different things. So very quickly, um, for example, Dewey discovered that kids learn best by doing, right? We know that. When we're like, like I'll, I'll give you an example. Like when I was in my math for teachers, I was a lousy student in general, but math particularly. And when I was in, I remember having a really hard time with fractions. And when I was in my math for teachers class, I remember he gave us all of these manipulatives to work with while we were learning it. And all of a sudden, like a light bulb went off in my head. Oh, because I could not learn while the teacher was doing things on the board. It didn't mean anything to me. But all of a sudden, I had these 
tactile things when it was real life and it was really explaining to me what was going on. So um, to me, that that was like a real life bulb moment where I really learned. Um, I really learned how you, you know, when you have actual, actual things to learn with, it's really, you know, much better. So what happens is when young kids, they're, they're, they're not, they're not many adults. They're coming, like, I, I remember I once wanted to write a book, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and I wanted to write a book and children are from Pluto. Mm-hmm. So kids are coming into this world without without knowing what us adults know. So people expect kids to just already know things without having to learn them. So for example, um, kids need to be able to do things at their developmental level, at their developmental level. There's a whole series of developmental levels you have with walking, with speaking, with right, with everything, but there's also developmental levels with drawing. So for example, if you try to push a kid to crawl before they're um, able to, you're, you're a mother, you know that that's not happening. If you try to get them to talk, I, one of my daughters has a kid that's almost two and he hardly says anything and she's getting crazy already from it. But until he's ready, it's not gonna happen. But what happens with, people are very accepting of those things. But when it comes to art, they're not. We live in a very perfectionistic world and everybody wants their kids art to look like adult art. They don't have the patience for a kid to be scribbling and for a kid to be going through the process of learning the material before they actually can do something with it. So two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds are really just learning the materials and they're not capable of doing the projects that the adults think of. So they're not allowing them to develop at their own stage because they're giving their ideas for the kids. And what happens is that teachers and parents are so hung up on getting something to actually look like something that they really are throwing out the baby with the bathwater because they're just trying to impose on the kids uh, you know, they're, po- uh, you know, standards that are really not really uh, for those kids. Aside from the fact that art, art that kids are allowed to do at their own stage makes them feel good. If a three-year-old kid is drawing and it's very, very messy, then you notice, oh, wow, look at the colors you used. Look at the, when you moved your hands in the circle, go to the kid where they are. And then it makes them feel like I'm accepted. I'm okay. My mother, my teacher really respects that this is where I am and this is what I can do. Aside from the fact that art also, when they're very young, is is a way to help them think and solve problems. And you can tell where a kid is developmentally. When I was, um, you know, when I was, I was a preschool director also for, for a couple of years and I would, I worked in schools where they did things like you'll give kids collages and you're going to see in one classroom a wide variety. You're going to see, let's say you'll give them a bunch of different circles and different sizes. You're going to see kids that just smack things on top of each other. And then you're going to see kids that they're making borders, they're overlapping, they're making snowmen. So you're allowing the kid to solve problems and to think and to make their own decisions 
and to feel good about themselves. And you're allowing them to develop at their own levels. When you're giving them this copycat craft, you're robbing them of so many things. You're not allowing them to, to just work with the materials, to, to solve these problems. You know, for a period of time when I was in adult crafts, I was doing this, I was doing this course where I was just taking adults back to playing. Let's use those markers. Let's use that paint. Let's let's get what we didn't get when we were kids. When I taught many years ago, I had I was teaching kindergarten. I was five year olds, and I had a kid come in here. He was an Egyptian kid, and he had never been in school before. But he was very very bright. He had a very high IQ. But he came in, and we I had an easel. And it was like, you know, choice-based program. It was like, you know, like centers. And he would go over and he was painting like a three-year-old. And then because he was very bright also, he got through that. And then he started painting like a four-year-old. And then he started, all of a sudden, you started seeing figures emerging and things emerging. Because he was allowed to go through those stages and use the materials and get it out and play with it. And then eventually he's going to do what he ha what you know what he's ready for developmentally there is a place if kids want to learn more skills as they get older there is a place for it but this basically robs the kids take away takes away their self-esteem takes away their problem solving another story i'm sorry i'm going on and on another story i remember when i was in education i had a um a conference leader i, I don't remember exactly I, some kind of conference leader or something and she she was telling me as she worked for the board of jewish education and she um she said she once was subbing in a in a second grade class and she um she went to she wanted to give them like something to do by a break so she gave them all this you know just scissors and crayons and paper or something and she then she went back to her desk and she realized that she um it was quiet and she looked up and nobody was doing anything she said what's going on they said you didn't tell us what to do they were in second grade and they were so trained that they can only do what they do because they were never allowed. They were never allowed to be free and to use their own creativity. They didn't trust themselves. So it's really a very huge topic. It's a very huge topic because people just don't realize they have this cute idea. They want to get this this you know um craft out and they just don't understand what they're doing to the kids by not allowing them to do their own so what so, ages what what ages are we talking about you know are like up until well where's your area of expertise where are you focusing on here because you know like you said when if you are constantly telling younger kids you know two three year olds what to do when it comes to a craft and by the time you get to second grade with how old are second graders seven eight somewhere in that range right then then you have you know that that they're very trained so what what ages do you like to focus on to help kids develop this uh, ability to you know just express themselves through art okay so i my focus on with the program that i sell which I call beyond copycat crafts, like it's for you know administrators or teachers. That I'm focusing on preschool. So I would say it's three, four, five year olds. Okay, so let's talk about six. three, four, five year olds then. Okay. If I've got a like a 
I, I totally understand, especially because like as a parent, when those projects come home, they're so freaking cute and they're so sweet. And like they have the picture in the middle and like all the scribbling around it. Like I love a good project. And I totally understand how as a teacher, you feel this pressure for the project to, as you say, kind of look right, you know, to to have it be something as opposed to just a scribble on a paper. So how do we kind of train ourselves to recognize that the scribble on the paper is something that it's like a step in in a it's in a developmental process as you right say. so i find that parent education is vital and i what i what i do with schools that are trying to change over is send letters to parents and explain to them and explain to them um, you know, what, what the kids are gaining from it and how they're going to be changing over. I find that parents are very, very, um, receptive to this because everybody wants their kids to get the best. And when they understand, then they, they're much more receptive. I also like teach the teachers how to enhance their kids' artwork, not by doing anything to the artwork, but by framing it. For example, my my daughter, I have a I have a married daughter who actually lives upstairs from me. Um and she she was running, she she got married much later and she ran a camp, an art camp that I I helped her, you know, plan for in my basement and she hadn't done it in a while and she did it again this summer. And it was young kids, but that's how she would do things like, I don't know, um, like blue salt and watercolors activity. So what she did was she saved everyone's every activity that they saved and they made them that looked very messy. It was saved. They were put into a book and labeled. Mm. So the kids have this whole book with all the different activities and labeled. This is what we did with this. I'll teach them how to frame. They'll make a messy collage. We'll frame it and you'll use certain colors. So there are ways to give it like importance, right? To give it importance and to show the parents and to make the kids feel, look how, how beautiful it is. So you can do that. It's, um, but parent education is very important. And once they, once they learn, I mean, I know a lot of parents that can't deal with all these projects that come home because they realize that my kid didn't do this. Maybe they don't realize to the extent of, you know, how, um, you know, the negative repercussions, you know, that could happen from it, but it's, it's all education. It's really education. It really explain. I happen to have on my website, which is eduart for kids with a number four, I have like a mini course that I offer for free which it has it has like like a little uh, like a little pdf that explains the theory in in um short with some videos and then on it there's like a letter to parents if if you're a parent it's good if it's your administrator it's good kind of to start people thinking now there are people that will never change i mean i've given many workshops and i'm always going to have the the teachers that their eyes light up and they're just so excited with this these ideas and then i have the old school people who just they will not change they they just can't change many years ago i think it was in 2015 actually i wrote an article for family first which is also in that mini course and um 
explaining very, in my, very much in detail the whole theory. If you really want to hear it, you know, read it. It's 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 on this mini course. You have to go sign up to Eduard for Kids. And I remember a friend of mine called me with her daughter-in-law was just arguing with her about it. She couldn't know, and she was trying to explain why these other activities are so great. They learn direction following, and this. There's a million and one ways to teach direction following. Why ruin it with giving them art where there's so many wonderful ways for them to get so many benefits out of the art, you know? So um, so it's education. It's real education. How do you find the children are responding to this difference in, oh. um, in instruction? Uh, well, when you start them young, they love it. Right. When they're a little bit older, when they're a little bit older, they have a little bit of a hard time. Um, but then they, um, then they get into it. What's interesting is, you know, I'm an, I'm an elementary school art teacher as well. I teach in this, uh, a school in, in Farakaway called, uh, Besiakova Terrace Miriam. And it's, I have like a number of years ago, about five, six years ago, I discovered in a Facebook group, a new method of teaching art, which is called TAB. And it stands for Teaching for Artistic Behavior. And what it is, is a, it's a center-based art program, but each center is a different type of art. So I'll have drawing and um, collage and um, um, and drawing collage. And uh, they do construction eventually and sewing. And I'm, I'm, I introduce and they learn different skills with each of these things. And then they have a choice of what, you know, what they're, what they're going to create. And what I find is that in like the fifth or sixth grades, that's when the kids start realizing if they're naturally artistic or they're not. And there's some of them. And I, when I heard last year, I heard a sixth grader saying, me, I can't draw a straight, straight line. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, you know, oh my gosh, I, you know, I can't believe it. I've been teaching these kids for so many years and she's still saying me, I can't draw a straight line. That's like, you know, and um, so I, I realized a couple of things that there's a lot of different ways to do art. If you want to learn how to draw, you can learn how to draw. Drawing is only for the people that are very artistic. There are people that are born very artistic. There are also people that are born very musical who can sit down at a piano and play anything. And there are people that pick up a pencil and they can draw anything. Nobody says if you can't play like Mozart, you shouldn't take piano lessons. And if you want to learn how to draw, you can. There's a program called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain by Betty Edwards, which teaches people, teaches you how to see and it teaches you how to draw. So that's number one. If you want to learn how to draw, you can learn how to draw, but it is hard work. It is hard mm. work to learn how to draw and you have to want to. Then there's this other part of learning how to draw, mixed media. Um, th th that's the kind of stuff that I had been doing with my adults, mixed media, which is a combination of of, of um, you know, stamping and stenciling and painting and collaging and I actually just started this year a new program for the seventh and it was an elective. So it was only the kids that were really interested in elective seventh and eighth graders in my school. Cause I only, always only taught up until sixth grade and now I'm doing seventh and eighth grade and we're doing art journaling. And like for an example, how they started, they had to buy these books and they had to start, they had to pick one word. They could do their name or something else. And then they had, there was all these techniques and how to do writing. They painted. They can use tape. They can all kinds of, and they're just, 
they're just loving it. And there's so many ways to be creative without having to learn how to draw. And you can learn how to draw. So nobody can say, I can't draw a straight line. If you want to learn how to draw, you can learn how to draw. But if not, there's a hundred and other one ways to do art and be creative. Right. It's interesting that you mentioned that like at around fifth, sixth grade, that's what, like 11, 12 years old, that you're getting that oh, you know, I could never draw type thing. Um, because I think that's probably, and again, I'm no I'm no childhood expert, um, but just from my own experience, that also feels like the kind of age where we start becoming aware of how we quote should be and what is expected of us. And, you know, you mentioned this perfectionist society before. There is definitely a way of like, oh, well, I want it to look right, you know? And, right. and at, at, you know, once you're hitting that 12-year-old type age, that's where it's like, oh, well, if I can't, if I can't, can't draw it to look perfectly then it's not right I actually the my most recent art class experience was in high school which was a little bit over 10 years ago and the um I remember when I had when I took that art class um and I ended up going on to AP studio art and you know like oh, I did, yeah I, nice. I, I failed the AP but I had a great time doing it um and <laughs> I don't give grades I don't give grades in art I think it's terrible tell okay, that to the college ahead. board um <laughs> the, <laughs> I got I, I should say I got a three on the AP which some colleges would accept but mine did not not the point though I remember <laughs> my art the art teacher um one time expressing how frustrated she was that the class, listen, you're in high school, right? So there are clearly some people who are just better at this than other people. There was not a question about that. And she one time expressed how frustrated she was that the people who the class universally accepted as just better were the people who could produce the most photorealistic drawings and paintings. It were the people who could, right. who could make things that looked, and we actually had one girl yeah. in our class who would spend hours hundreds of hours I remember she did this close-up painting of a guitar that took her over a hundred hours to do and we're talking about something that was it was not very big like it was 16 by 24 and she was um and and like every little reflection and every string and every everything and it was a gorgeous piece it looked like a photograph and everybody was ooing and eyeing and, and cooing over how amazing this this looked and the teacher was like, yes, that is very impressive. What she did there is amazing. But don't discount what you're doing because it's not because it doesn't look realistic. Because right. yes, the, the fact that she's able to reproduce that realistically, very talented. There's definitely an eye there, but that's not necessarily the only right way to do this. And and there are exactly. other ways to go about it. And all of that was very, it was her frustration, I remember, because it was right. so palpable at how- What school, what school was this? Tag. Oh, you're in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm from Kew Garden Hills, but I I went to oh. Tag for high school. So okay, right, and they know they most most of the yeshivas don't have AP art, so it ha- yeah, okay, yeah. So um, I I was very lucky actually. I th- I'm nearly positive they still offer it actually, and um, I know yeah, Ailey, yeah, Ailey, she's she's a quite a well known uh, artist now. Also, she grew up in my neighborhood. I remember her talking about that that she had also done AP art in uh, in Tag. Yeah, I believe that it um. Her name was Mrs. Singer. I think I, I think that she still teaches there. I don't want to say that for sure. Oh, Naomi, Naomi uh, sure. Singer. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a fantastic <laughs> teacher. And the other thing that I remember also is that uh-huh. she taught us the grid system, um, where you, uh-huh. you put a. Um, we did most of the most of the painting that we did. She encouraged us to stage things, photograph them, and then draw from the photograph because it's a little bit easier that uh-huh. way. Um, uh-huh. and so we would we would do these still life stagings, and everyone in the class would take their own photo of it. And then she would um, 
she showed us in Photoshop how to put a grid, a scale grid over the photo. And then um, we would grid our canvases and draw from that uh-huh. using the grid lines as a reference. Right. And I uh-huh. remember also at one point somebody saying something like, this is cheating, right? Like, the, right. like right. isn't that funny? Know? That's yeah. exactly my point is how I started off with people think, people think that art is only drawing from your imagination with no help. Right. It's, yeah, it's not. It's so not cheating. It's so right. funny. Exactly. And someone was like, well, come on. Okay, fine. If you want to draw from a reference picture, fine. But like putting the grid on it, that's cheating. Anyone yes. can do this. And she's like, yeah, anyone <laughs> can do this. That's the point. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a pity. Art is, you know, one of my, my things is that art is for everyone. Art is not just for the artist. It's like not fair almost. It's like art has been taken over by the people who are artistically talented. And everybody is so, because of this girl that was able to do the guitar so realistically, that's what people think an artist is. And, you know, you look at, you go into the, I show my kids, I was showing some of my students last week. I had a whole bunch of these abstract art pictures up. I said, you have some of these pictures hanging in museums for over a million dollars. And look at this. You think you can do this? You know, so art is a whole bunch of things. It's not just being able to reproduce something realistically. Right. I think that also because yeah. like, especially when you think about like these abstract art pieces, right, that are worth millions, some of them look like a three-year-old made them. And I don't mean that as an insult. They just like, they're not they're not technically difficult right. to reproduce. And I think that also as a wider society, if something is difficult to do, that is what makes it kind of special. Like not everybody can get up and sing right. on Broadway. Do you know what I mean? It's like right. not not everybody can hit those high notes. And it's right. right. And and the fact that they're the people who can do it, the fact that not everybody could do it is what makes it that much more special. Right. But you're not going to tell people don't sing for enjoyment because you can't get up there and sing like a Broadway mm. star. Right. That's true. You're going yeah. to say, sing, go sing and have have a good time. And it's and there's so many different levels. And you see, art, art is not just is not something that you can get enjoyment. If It is so therapeutic. It is such a therapeutic thing. There's actually not just about art. There's um. There's a there's a book. There's a husband and wife team that wrote a book. Uh, here it is, the Creativity Cure, the Creativity mm. Cure by by a husband and wife team, Carrie and Alvin Barron. They're both doctors, and they talk about creativity. It's not just art. It's use your hands. Also, it's art. It's it's creativity. It could be gardening. Also, something create. What a cure it is for depression, for anxiety, for so many things, and how it's been proven that it works even better than therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I've had people tell me about what it's done. They went through a difficult time in life, they've gone to a tragedy, and they and how art saved them, just save them from them table to table. Do it by using their hands and just being creative. It's it's an amazing, it's an amazing vehicle for for growth and help and you know. And, and if we have the opportunity to give it to our kids and not to just expect them to, you know, just produce what an adult came out of an adult head, it's, it's hard. It's a hard switch. People don't change so easily, but it's just something very important. And this is what this coach of mine got me back. I mean, I still love doing, I mean, I still would I'd love to do art classes 
If anybody lives in the Far Rockaway, Queens, Brooklyn area, I do these alcohol ink um, uh, activities. I do um, mixed media. I actually still have my old website, which is Creativity Reignited. And on there, I have a, a thing that says art parties. And I do art parties locally still. But online, um, I'm, you know, working on um, on more helping people with their kids. Right. So yeah. they will not be those teachers, people that say, me, I can't draw a straight line. <laughs> you know, so. Let, I, I want to switch gears for, for just a short minute as we're, as we're wrapping up. I am a mom mm -hmm. in the toddler phase what are some things that you know I'm, I feel like I'm kind of in that sweet spot right because so what are some things that parents can do to help you know maintain this creativity in their kids so really what they really have to do is first of all they can't be scared of mess so <clears throat> it's very very important for the toddler age when my graph I'm, I'm marrying off my last son my last awesome. child in two weeks. Thank you. And when my grandchildren come, we go down to the basement and I let them paint. And if you can give your child the gift of painting, and on my website, by the way, EduArt for Kids, you'll have it in the show notes, I'm sure. There's a lot of activities. There's a lot of examples. There's a lot of things that you can, you can do. But if you just allow your children to paint, to just collage, even if you buy a bunch of tape, like the color tapes and let them make a tape picture, let them just scribble, let them just cut. You're giving them the biggest gift without worrying about what it's going to look like. Now, I'm not, I mean, I very often, my the kids are not looking, I throw their things out because that's not the point. The point is the experience, the sensory experience, even clay, um, just for them to play, especially when they're two and three, do not worry about them making anything you'll see what happens as they get older to the four-year-old five-year-old they're going to automatically they're going to start scribbling and they're going to say look here this is this like i tell parents do not and teachers don't ask a kid what is this say tell me about your picture tell mm. me about it and and if you want to if you want to um comment on it comment on what you see oh i see you have a lot of red lines oh i see you were really moving your hand around in circles this gives importance to the work and it, oh my mother really sees me they see what i'm trying because at this point all you want to do is give them experience with the materials that's how they learn they they need as much experience with the materials eventually if you keep allowing them they will start creating things. And then sometimes you can have a little bit more of a structure on my website. I have a lot of ideas if you want more of structures, um, ideas to do it. But you have to be willing to give up and be flexible and not worry so much about product over process. At toddler age, there's no such thing as product in my, in my book. I mean, I do teach sometimes if teachers can't. They can't get away from it. So I'll take them, let's say it's Rosh Hashanah time. I'll tell them, okay, give them a big chauffeur and then give them a process activity to do on there. So good, you're happy, you're showing something, but they're not really aware so much of what they're doing it on top of. But in a toddler age, the process is major. And and they don't they don't have, have so much patience, right? They're just gonna be scribbling and then they're gonna be finished keep to it. If you can paint with them, if you can let them color, let them use all different ex materials, 
You can save them. You can throw them out when they're not looking. It doesn't really matter because they don't care about the product. If they care about the process, as they get older, if you want to try different process activities, then save them. Put them in sheet protectors. Put them in binders. Put them in a folder. Write what they tell you about it. Tell me about your picture. Write on it. Save it. And you'll see their progress as they're growing and developing. I love that. If you, um, let's say maybe like me, um, are a little bit, yeah, I'm mess averse and also just generally overwhelmed and not looking to create more destruction and chaos. What are some materials that are a little bit less messy or maybe less just messy. easier to clean up or, right. you know, good beginner? Okay. Okay. Basis. So I would, you can get like air dry, uh, let's say the air dry clay is very sensory. They have like Crayola, the magic model, magic, mm -hmm. I think it's called air dry clay. You don't have to make something. They can play with it, wrap it up, put it away. You can get a whole bunch of uh, different washi tape and let them rip them and just make pictures with the washi tape. You can get watercolors. The pan watercolors are not messy and they're easy. Mm. They're easier to clean up. Um, what I'll do even, even with my grandchildren, let's say when they come in, I'll, I'll stand with them. I'll cover a table with a plastic. You take one of the plastics, the, you know, throw away plastics. I'll put some, uh, like I'll give them a, a large sheet. Sometimes I'll buy even like um uh uh what's it called shelving shelving paper shelving oh, paper big sure. papers i'll cut it up especially for very young kids i give them a brush and then i'll even just put paint on the on the paper for them and just let them paint and it's just a mess but it's an, an unbelievable activity what you're giving a kid so it can be very contained you even on your kitchen table you take a, a plastic tablecloth the smaller ones you put it down you take shelving paper you cut it up you give them one brush you get some paper, some paint from Amazing Saving. You put one color out and you let them paint. And then they ask for more. You put some more color out. So it's very contained. It's not until they're a little bit older, maybe closer to five, where I'll give them. There are activities, again, on my website where I'll give them a way of doing painting. And then they have to wash the brush. And then they have to dry it on a sponge. And then they can actually paint. But toddler age, painting and just coloring, get some shelving paper they have these creamy crayons the other kind of crayons and just let them color and then throw the stuff out when they don't see because it that's what's important it's it's an humble you're giving your kids a gift and that's what i always feel when i give my grandchildren when i give this my students these activities to do i literally feel like i'm giving them a gift yeah, and I'm sure you are. One quick hack that I actually saw online from Miriam Sandler, whose mother could on Instagram. Um, she uses uh -huh. the pan watercolors, and instead of giving uh -huh. the kids a cup of water, she takes a spray bottle and she sprays directly into the pan so that the uh -huh. color just works right. and you don't have to worry about spilling the water, which I thought okay, was so clever. So let me, okay, let me tell you about that. That's good for waking up the paint because there's different kinds of paint. Pan watercolors have to be woken up with water. Some people use with a, with water in a cup and a brush. Now, the, the, the way people, when people spray it, they're spraying it because they want to wake up the water. But if you're going to use that and just use a brush without cleaning your brush in between, everything's going to be brown. Well, well, I mean, again, and if a toddler's using it and all they want to do is mess around with paint, right. then so does then it really you, matter so, if it's so brown? Then, right. So then you don't, you don't even need to give them um, so many colors. You can do something with a toddler 
it's not that important, but that's what with a toddler, you can give them like one or two things and because they're really totally doing things for the process. Right. But just be, be aware that that spraying of the paint is to wake up the paint. It's not to clean the brush. But the toddlers are not capable of doing those steps. Like that's a classic way of teaching um, um, direction following. When I teach them how to mix colors and they have a few, I give, I'll give them the three primaries and maybe white to start. And then they have to wash their brush and they have a piece of aluminum foil or something and they can mix it and then use those colors. That's unbelievable direction following much more than a copycat cookie cutter craft. So um, there's a really, you can get all of the skills that people think they're getting in these copycat cookie cutter crafts in regular art and the kids love it and benefit from it amazingly. I'm, I'm sure this has been such a wonderful conversation. You've mentioned your website and where people can find you a couple of times. Let's just do it one more time um, so that everyone can have it summed okay. up. Okay, so if you want to learn about art for kids, then um, eduart, E-D-U-R-T, number four, kids.com. Um, if you're interested in any kind of, if you want to go back to your childhood and you're interested in an, in an art party for kids, then for adults, then go to creativityreignited.com. I actually still have my old course on there available if you want, but I also have, you go to the menu and there's a, there's a art parties tab and you can, um, you can get in touch with me about an art party. I'm also on Instagram at eduartforkids.com and I'm on Facebook at the same thing. I'm not really very active. I'm not really very active. I'm just trying to get into LinkedIn. Also, I'm not so active on social media. That might change, might not, but that's where you can find me. That's that's amazing. And I and like you said, I am gonna link all of that in the show notes. Uh to end off, Figgy, I would love to know where do you think you've made the most impact? Well, I've been teaching, I've been an art teacher for 11 years and I am waiting for those kids to grow up and come back and tell me, you know what you did for me, Mrs. Cobra, mm. <laughs> how I changed. Um, so I think I made a very big impact. I definitely made an impact with teaching teachers also had it switch over. So in teaching the, my, my own classes and in teaching other teachers, because like I said, it's it's just it 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 spills over. Kids that are confident and can think for themselves and are creative and feel like they have an outlet, it spills over to, into other areas of learning and life as well. And it's it's a real passion of mine to help people tap into this. I'm I'm sure. Thank you so much for coming on today, Faggy. I really appreciate My it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Faggy, her links are in the show notes. On last week's episode, I spoke to Roberta Levins about life after an MLA. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion. Clothing and I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 28 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 19 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getorg.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fatman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Thrifty Twits. Catch me on all the socials at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.